a mensch, it's a German word. It has to do with trust, with faith, with generosity, someone who takes the high road, someone who looks out for the greater good, society's good as opposed to personal good. And I think that over the course of your life, you should move from personal selfishness to menschdom. Welcome to the Supermanagers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams work better together. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden Merzai, and I'm the CEO of Fellow.app. Today, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with Guy Kawasaki. Guy was one of the original Apple employees responsible for marketing the Macintosh computer back in the 1980s. During his time as Apple's chief evangelist, he worked closely with Steve Jobs and popularized the concept of evangelism marketing. Today, Guy is the chief evangelist of Canva, a brand ambassador for Mercedes-Benz, and the author of more than 10 books, including Wise Guy and The Art of the Start. In this episode, Guy talks about his experience managing Apple's evangelism team, the lessons he learned working with Steve Jobs, and the German concept of being a mensch, and how it can help you identify and hire great leaders. So without further ado, here's Guy Kawasaki on another episode of the Supermanagers podcast. Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is super exciting. I'm obviously a big fan. have read your book, The Art of the Start, way back when, when it originally came out, uh, and have been following you ever since. So this is a real pleasure uh, for me. Uh, you've obviously worked at you know a bunch of different companies, had experiences with uh, investing and and participating and advising many others, and come across many many different managers and leaders everywhere. Uh, one of the quotes that we found when when looking at uh, your background and your history was somewhere where you had said, uh, "When I finally got a management position, I found out how hard it is to lead and manage people." So the question that we were going to ask you is, when was the first time that you became a manager and uh, what did you learn? What were some of the early mistakes that, that you made? The first time I became a manager, it was in the jewelry business in Los Angeles. But that's really not the experience I was referring to when I said that. The first experience was at Apple when I appled the uh, software product management group at Apple. This meant that I managed groups like evangelism, developer tech support, developer documentation, and the Apple-labeled software products. And the misconception I had in my life was that the leadership part is easy and the hard stuff is finance and statistics and operations research and, you know, the so-called quantitative things. 
And what I've come to realize over my life is that the quantitative things, finance, operations, research, optimization, all those kind of things, that's easy. You can often hire people to do that specialty. The hard part is the non-technical soft stuff like motivating people, leading people, uh, dealing with all the HR issues. That's the hard stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, And I agree with you. I think like when when we first started, when I first started out, that's the stuff that I was more curious about to learn those things. I was like, people, that must be easy. And and I agree. Um, Why why do you think that it is so difficult? Like what makes the people stuff actually hard? (laughs) Because people are hard to deal with. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That that just comes with the territory. Um, Another reason to go to robotics. (laughs) Right, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a soft, fuzzy science. It's it's not uh, you know exactly a science at all, really. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, the other question that we had for you, uh, just along you know the uh, the similar lines, was. Uh, in your in your book, The Art of the Start, you talk about uh, this concept of being a mensch yeah. and uh, being a good role model for your team. Yes. Uh, if you don't mind, can you explain uh, to the audience uh, what a mensch is, sure. why is it important, and how you can be one in, in the context of a leader? A mensch, it's a German word, and it's very difficult to describe, like many, many German words. So it has to do with trust, with faith, with generosity, someone who takes the high road, someone who looks out for the greater good, society's good as opposed to personal good. And I think that over the course of your life, you should move from personal selfishness to menschdom, where you care more about society and you care more about the bigger picture than your own individual picture. And it often takes years to come to this point, and it often takes some level of success because if you're literally starving, it's hard to be a mensch. Although you could make the case that if you're a mensch when you're starving, you truly are a mensch. But uh, I I think that uh, it's a very difficult thing because – being a mensch is quite the opposite of what you start out your career doing. And it takes a transition and not everybody makes that transition. Right. And, and do you think that, uh, I mean, it must have an impact on the quality of, you know, if the leader in a company or on a team uh, has mensch like qualities, uh, some of that must, you know, basically seep through to the rest of the team. And can you think of an example of, how you can see a mention action when it comes to you know a decision or like a way that they behave like how do we spot these people in real life in companies first of all they're very rare uh, i think that you know when you when you see people who will uh, subordinate their personal gain for the gain of the good of the gain of the team or the company that's one sign so uh, it's letting somebody else get the commission, letting somebody else get the sale, uh, 
realizing that you know the the world the sun doesn't rise and set on your butt that to be successful in a company it's the team behind you someone who treats his or her secretary administrative aide you know better doesn't act like that person is a slave or an indentured servant um someone i i think a mensch would treat people in the company that's beneath him or her in terms of power or compensation or whatever uh like peers you know if you if you go to a company and you see that the managers treat the secretaries and the administrative aides and the clerical helpers and the operator and the receptionist and the shipping department as if they're lower, less valuable forms of human beings, that's a sure sign that that person or those people are not mensches. Got it. Uh, I'll give you some other uh, – again, it's very hard to describe what a mensch is. So uh, if you go to an airport – not that anybody is going to an airport these days. <laughs> but if you go to an airport and you see someone treating the – you know, when you go to check in for your seat at an airline counter, right – and you can see some people who treat them well, and you can see some people who just rip on them. And obviously, the people who rip on them are not mensches. And I would also say the people who rip on anybody in an airline situation is pretty stupid. Because if you think about it, you're ripping on somebody who could just, by accident, Put a luggage tag on your luggage that is sending your luggage to, you know, I don't know, <laughs> sending it to Stuttgart when, in fact, you're going to London. So why would you piss that person off? And then you go in the airplane and you, you know, you you treat the flight attendant like crap. Like, why would you treat the flight attendant like crap? This is the person who's preparing your food and drinks. Like, what's going through your mind? thinking that you're going to rip on this person and you know i mean this just stupid uh so that that's sign of manchdom that you treat people who cannot necessarily do these big things for you you know you're not sucking up it's it's easy to suck up to someone who can do a big favor for you that's not the tense that's not the test for a mensch the test for a mensch is do you treat people well who cannot do big things for you? Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, the the other way that I interpret that is that if you're looking to hire uh, great managers and leaders into your company, it's instructive to see basically how they act outside. And if you happen to go on a trip with them and you yeah. witness their behavior with others, like that's super instructive and you're well, sure to know that they'll bring that behavior back into your company and then other people will learn from that. And then it's downhill from there. Yeah. I, I would say uh, a real world situation is l- let's suppose that you are being recruited by a company and you, ha- you go out to breakfast or lunch or dinner with the, your future boss or the recruiter or whatever. And you know, you just, Treat the waiter or waitress like crap. Uh, that would be a very stupid thing to do. Um, because if I were the hiring person, I would say, okay, so this is how, how this candidate treats other people. 
you know, not for our company. I don't care. I don't care how well your resume is formatted. I don't care what your LinkedIn profile looks like. I don't care any about that. If you treat a waiter or waitress like crap, not interested. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that's great advice, and I think like that's why a lot of re- recruiters will take you out. <laughs> My daughter um, just walked in the room dressed in red, looking like a strawberry here. I don't that's know. awesome. <laughs> I, I love I love that. That's cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I mean, all that to say is that it's also a great way to, I suppose, interview, take people out into natural places, natural yeah. environments, and and see how they behave. Well, now, um, now you know just. FYI, the flip is also true, which is to say, if you go out with someone who might be your boss and your boss treats the waiter or waitress like crap, guess what? (laughs) You're next in line, bro. So uh, (laughs) there should be two-way judgment happening here. That's true. That's true. It's a very valid point. Um, So switching gears for a second, I wanted to, I couldn't have a conversation with you and not talk about Apple and Steve Jobs. Yes. Uh, So had to ask you, what was it like to grow up as a manager in an environment like Apple? And what was it like to work with Steve? Well, working at Apple was like going to Disneyland every day. Uh, you know, we were out to dent the universe, change the world, send IBM back to the typewriter business. It was it was a great adventure. Difficult, though, I will tell you that, you know, uh, Steve Jobs is many things, but he wasn't a mensch. And so basically, he just ripped people. And uh, I, I, the, he ripped people and he ruled by fear. But, but I have to say, in this rare circumstance, because it's Steve Jobs, the one and only Steve Jobs, he ripped people and got away with it, and it led to better results. So I just sort of contradicted everything I said, but I'm telling you that fear works as a motivating factor. If the person causing the fear is someone like Steve Jobs, now, that's a very big caveat, okay? So... Uh, there are not many people who can fulfill what I just said. There are lots of people who can act like assholes. It's the person who is visionary and has the passion and has you know all that stuff that's going okay. But the asshole part is the easy part, <laughs> not not the hard part. So I, I wouldn't trade those days for anything and. I consider it an honor and a privilege to have worked for him, but it was not easy. And and this is a very valuable lesson in life that I think when you look back, the teachers and the bosses who were the hardest on you were probably the most valuable. As you are going through an experience, you're looking for the easy teacher and the easy coach and the easy boss. But it may take 20 years and you'll look back and say, yeah, you know, that English teacher who used to rip me. That's the one I learned the most from. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, super, I, I guess there's, there's a positive side to everything. Um, but also it, it's interesting because you can learn different things from different people. Uh, so you might not say that, uh, you know, to mimic cer- certain people management behaviors, but maybe other things, or maybe holding people accountable can be one of the things that mm-hmm. you could take away from, 
uh, from a leader like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, everybody has their strengths. And I suppose you just have to try and find those and, and learn those things from those people. Yes. Um, the other thing, which was an interesting one, and, and I think, uh, you know, this question basically relates to people who are looking to advance their career and, and do good within their companies. You talk about this concept of a godfather-like figure yes. uh, within every company. Uh, do you mind just explaining to the audience what you mean by a godfather-like figure, why they're important, and how you sure. can learn from them? So I, I think in many companies, well, especially older companies, not necessarily startups, that there's a godfather or maybe godmother uh, figure who is uh, established, powerful, and hopefully a mensch that will mentor you, protect you. I had a figure like this inside Apple. His name was Al Eisenstadt. And so this is a very useful relationship to form. Uh, this person can help you navigate the the treachery of most companies, can protect you, can um, make some battles unnecessary. So this is uh, – I, I can't remember the movie, but there was a movie where there was this little scrawny kid and he had this really big f- friend <laughs> – <laughs> and that friend you know, made things a lot easier for him. That's kind of a godfather figure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It, you know, it's interesting. You refer to it as a godfather figure. There's also this concept I of am. <laughs> um, building. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's building this concept of psychological safety. Um, yes. it, you know, like the best managers out there will build psychological safety for their team. So they can take yes. those risks, but I think it's a very clever approach because you're also referring to it as like, if you don't naturally have that, maybe the right way is to go and create that for yourself by finding those kinds of figures within the company. Having said that, um, it's, 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 it's tricky, you know, when people listen to this podcast and they're saying, Oh, okay. So I got to go find a Godfather figure. And then, uh, it's not that easy. You know, it's, it's not like if you listen to a podcast and the podcast says, uh, you know, be sure to update your LinkedIn profile. Okay. You know, that's a real actionable item. You go and you, you bring your LinkedIn profile up to date, but going to find a godfather, it's, you know, that, first of all, there might not be a godfather in your startup. And, you know, it's it's not as easy as oh duh I should find a godfather and you know bada bing bada bang in a in a couple of days you have one uh, it's it's not that easy one should just kind of be aware of the concept I think and go from there right yeah but and, and then there's also like just the concept of mimicking some of those cap- basically some of those characteristics so that your fe- your team feels safer. Uh, to be able to take risks and, yes. you know, with risks can come outsized returns. Otherwise, like everyone's basically doing the, the minimum possible and just, you know, doing what's necessary to not get fired versus <laughs> to try and win. Well, I, I would offer a better mental framework for any employee. So I think a better mental framework is people have to understand that their job is to make their boss look good. And many people just do not realize that. 
So they think that their job is to make themselves look good. But my theory is the way you advance in any organization is you make your boss look good. The reasoning that I'm going to make myself look so good that I'm going to be promoted equal or greater than my boss is flawed. That never happens. So what you should do is try to make your boss look good. So as your boss progresses, you draft behind him or her. And at some point, you know, you go to another company or you change department or something. I understand that. But uh, if people believe that their job is to make their boss look bad and themselves look good, that is totally flawed reasoning. Yeah, that's super, super valuable. But but also it just relates to this concept of managing up, which is it's fine to manage, but you also have to manage up, which sometimes is more important, like you said. <laughs> I, I don't know about sometimes. I think it's always. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another thing, speaking about things that may be always true, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you've said that it's, uh, it's very important to hire people who are better than you, not worse than you, and people who have different skills, not the same skills, uh, because it's, you, know, you don't want to duplicate yourself. You want to complement yourself. Um, why is it that people, I mean, it sounds like obvious information, but why do people always get it wrong? Like, what do you think are the, the things that cause people not to hire in this way? Uh, probably the biggest factor is insecurity, that many people want to feel like they are the best at the job. So if, well, let's start at the top. If you are a CEO and you need finance, operations, marketing, production, uh, customer service, marketing, you know, just go down the list of all your CX and VP level people. But if you think you, you are going to be better in each of those functional areas than the people you hire because you want to feel superior to them, you are a loser of a CEO. It should be a source of pride that as a CEO, you've assembled a team that is better than you in every functional area because uh, that's – so imagine this is my perfect scenario, right? So you're a CEO and everybody in their functional area is better than you and then those people have hired people better than them in their functional area. So you have just a group of a plus and A players. And the second part of this fantasy is that you have this team of A and A plus players, and they all realize that their job, if you're the controller working for the VP of finance, and the VP of finance is better at finance than you are, and the controller is better at finance than the VP of finance, but everybody realizes that their job is to make their boss look good. So the VP of finance is thinking, how can I make the CEO look good? And the controller is thinking, how do I make the VP of finance look good? I'm telling you, you are going to have one hell of an excellent company. Got it. Yeah, that would be a spectacular place. How <laughs> do you think about that, though, in, in relation to mentorship? Um, so, so I guess like with the mentorship wouldn't come from like the skill level or, you know, you know, how do you think about, say, the the, the mo like the, the bottom most level or the most junior level of that type of organization? If everybody is like basically the the first level is the best, 
in terms of skill, what is there to learn for some of those folks? Wait, if you're saying the, uh, you, uh, you got to clarify that for me. So when you say the first level, you mean the bottom of the barrel there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it in those terms, but you know, my, my point is that, so for example, like a director of finance, yeah. um, who is superior in skill than their boss who might be the VP, um, why would that person almost oh, take well, that job? Wouldn't okay, they want to okay, okay, okay. learn from yeah. someone who knows more and is better than them? Okay, because let's say the VP of finance, let's, let's just stay with VP of finance. Let's not go up to the CEO level. So the VP of finance has a controller that is better at the controller functionality than the VP of finance, okay? So your question is, why would the controller who's better at controller's function work for a VP of finance who's not as good? And the answer is that the VP of finance may not be as good in the controller function, but the VP of finance is better at raising money, is better at uh, dealing with shareholders, is better at understanding the IPO process, is better at Sarbanes-Oxley fulfillment. You know, there are, there are other areas. So yes, the controller, let's say the controller uh, is responsible for opening and closing the books and, you know, preparing the financial reports. Uh, so that's that person's expertise. And that person can open and close books and prepare financial reports better than the VP of finance. Hallelujah. But the VP of finance knows how to take a company public knows how to raise capital, knows how to deal with shareholders, knows how to manage the board of directors, uh, knows how to fulfill you know, the Sarbanes-Oxley things. And so that's why. Got it. And so that, I guess, goes back to the other part of what you were recommending for hiring, which is don't hire the same person, don't hire duplicates, hire compliments. Yes. And if, if everybody knew how to close the books... Well, who's going to raise money and who's going to take the company public, uh, you know, to cut to the chase? Yes. Yeah. And I think this is valuable advice. And, and it may seem obvious, but I see so often that folks basically want just someone who is, um, you know, going to be a doer and, and just hire those people just to do like the verbatim that is told to them rather than actually looking for people who are better than them um, at those particular functional areas. Well, this, but this is a, a this is a deep psychological question. Uh, you know, is it is it better to draft the best overall athlete or the athlete that is perfectly suited for the position you have? And to continue the sports analogy, which is you know not always a good thing to do in business. So, if you are a if you're the general manager of a football team and there's great all-around athlete is available, but you need an offensive tackle. What do you draft? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the answer. <laughs> I, That's why you know, I, I can venture. I can but, argue both sides, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could draft the best athlete and then maybe trade for an offensive tackle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that That's the master move right there. Um. So uh, we're, we're getting close to, to time. Uh, I, I wanted to ask one last question, which is for all those people out there that are looking to get better at managing teams and to be better leaders and to up-level their career and continuing yeah. to progress and their skills, 
what would you recommend for them? Like, what are some things that they should think about over the next year and the next five years? First, they should ban any PowerPoint presentation over 10 slides. That right there, you could be a great manager. So that's number that's one. Tactical number one. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> uh, number two, you should ban any email over five paragraphs. Tactic I number three that. is you should ban attachments in emails. Uh, number four, you should uh, I, I, a good framework is that whenever you go see your boss at whatever level, you always come with a solution, not a problem. That's a high expectation. But, um, you know, going back to the theory that your job is to make your boss look good, then you don't go to your boss saying, oh, my God, the sky is falling. You go to your boss and you say, oh, my God, the sky is falling, but I have figured out how to get the sky back up. Um, that's what a boss wants to hear. I think bosses every there, everywhere are smiling from ear to ear right now. <laughs> They're like, please do that. <laughs> Guy, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, learned a lot. So many, so many words of wisdom. A lot of these we'll, we'll obviously reference in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you. So can I plug something? I yes, want, of course. I want people to subscribe to my podcast. So Awesome. How did they get to it? My podcast is called Remarkable People. And guess what? You go to remarkablepeople.com and there it is. And the purpose of listening to my podcast is to learn from remarkable people. And I truly do have remarkable people. So the guests have included Steve Wozniak, Andrew Yang, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Martha Stewart, Ariana Huffington, Leon Panetta, Sir Ken Robinson. So there, this is. That's a group of remarkable people. Yeah, that's just off the top of my head. And my perspective is that my job is to bring out the remarkableness in them. So this podcast is not about me. I do about 5% of the talking and I let my guests do 95% of the talking. It's about them. So every time you listen to a every time you listen to an episode of my podcast, I guarantee you that you will be a little bit more remarkable. That's awesome. That's a great pitch. Remarkable people. We will make sure to promote that um, in the show notes, but also to our audience, I think all of our audience, they're looking to get better. They're looking to grow. And what a great resource. We'll make sure to include that uh, in the show notes as well. You, you know, I would do the same for you. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. that's amazing. I, I look forward to subscribing myself to uh, so, that's awesome. Thank I'm you for doing check. that. <laughs> yes, you will check. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Take care. Well, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Really appreciate it. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. 
If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.